tonight, I do want to tell you before I start, um, there's a couple of resources that were really helpful to me as I prepared for tonight's lesson, and both of them are in our book nook. Um, this one is called, well, I say they are. I mean, I didn't actually check tonight, but they both originally came from our book nook, so I know we can um, get another one if we need to, but Tempted and Tried by Russell D. Moore, Temptation and the Triumph of Christ. And then, um, you know, we have a lot of these short, little, um, easy, practical, simple to read little booklets. And so this one in particular on temptation. Um, our lesson tonight is called Growing in Grace, Triumph Over Temptation. And really, none of you actually have to be here. Um, you you sh- we, you could all just hold up like little mirrors. If you had a mirror with you, you could just hold up a little mirror and I should just be teaching this to myself. That's really what has been happening this whole entire month. Um, and so it, it's, it's been really good. I'm really thankful for the opportunity to, to get to teach because I have to really um, dive deep into areas that kind of like Haley said, God is always so faithful to perfectly time for my life. And I just pray that um, it also will, will be helpful to you at some point. But each month so far this year, um, we've looked at something that unites us, right, as women. And um, we've looked at our divine design the first month and how we all have different features and different personalities and different gifts and different um, roles and responsibilities. And yet we all have a purpose, right, to glorify God with our unique design and where and how he's placed us in our life. And last month we looked at wisdom and its great value in our lives and We decided that diamonds may be a girl's best friend, but wisdom is greater than jewels, and it's absolutely necessary to walk worthy of our calling. Um, And so tonight, I've already kind of given it away, but I bet if you were to ask anyone, even if they'd never actually picked up a Bible, if you were to ask them to tell you about Eve whether they actually had read it in the Bible or not, they probably would most likely tell you what. Would they tell you about her beauty or her, her beautiful home or her job or her family? Probably not. What would they tell you? Yeah, they'd tell you, oh yeah, she ate the forbidden fruit, right? Or she was, she was tempted by Satan. And so um, I do think that this is a theme that we all share. This is an area where, um, you know, we, we really take after our first mother really well in this area. And um, when we, although temptation is common to both men and women, and none of us are like immune to it, Um, I think it's something that by growing in grace and triumphing, learning how to triumph over temptation, um, we will be more equipped to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so um, we are going to dive in deep here in this area. We're going to begin our lesson tonight in one garden, and we're going to end our lesson tonight in a different garden. And we're going to begin, of course, in the beginning. So if you want to open your Bible, I bet you already know what chapter we're going to start with. 
We're going to begin in the Garden of Eden, and this is the place where man and woman began. This is where our story starts. It's a perfect place. It's a place of beauty, of peace, perfection, and pure fellowship with God. And it was also the place where the first temptation occurred and where man and woman's sinful human hearts were first exposed. The Garden of Eden was where Satan would succeed at convincing the first humans that God's plan was not for their best, that they deserve and should have more than what God had given, and that his plan for them was not enough. And it was where the first thought of discontentment was planted, took root, and sprouted. It fully bloomed into sin the first act of disobedience toward God. And it also set into motion God's redemptive plan, which would culminate thousands of years later in a different garden with a different temptation and a very different result. And so we'll get there. Each of us faces some kind of temptation every day. And even though our temptations are different, our struggles are similar. We all have daily battles with temptation that stretch sometimes into months and sometimes over years and sometimes last a lifetime. You see, we face the same enemy as our mother did in the Garden of Eden. And I love that Haley already mentioned that tonight, didn't she? There's actually going to be several um, different things that kind of correlate to the testimony that she shared, and I always love when the Lord does that. But um, we do face a lot of the same temptations because we face the same enemy. And in that Garden of Eden, Satan won that battle. And he does continue to win battles in our lives every day. So we're, gonna re- we're going to review this account in Genesis chapter 3. So if you will start there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
Now, this story is definitely devastating, but we're not left without hope. In fact, spoiler alert, Haley actually already did the spoiler alert for you. We already know that God will win the war and that one day we will be free from temptation and the cycle of sin. Satan will be defeated and the victory belongs to the Lord. We know that during the first battle in the Garden of Eden, Satan did not get away unscathed. He was cursed in the Garden of Eden. But through the fall in the Garden of Eden, we can learn more about our selfish, sinful nature and more about our enemy and how he operates. And both of these things will help us to understand how to more effectively fight temptation. You see, it's easy to think that our temptations come from our circumstances, right? I'm tempted to be angry and impatient because of these disobedient hooligan children that the Lord gave me. And I'm tempted to be prideful because nobody around me can do anything right. And I'm tempted to need to overindulge in chocolate because of these hormones racing through my body. And I'm tempted to be greedy and not generous because my boss will not give me a raise. And I'm tempted to blank because blank. You can all fill in these blanks, right? Multiple times on a daily basis. And we tend to think that our temptations are because of these circumstances and that we could deal with temptations successfully simply by changing our circumstances. If I had a different boss, then I wouldn't. If I had a different spouse, then I wouldn't. If I had better kids or coworkers, then I wouldn't have to get set off by all of these irritating people around me right? (laughs) It is true that our external circumstances bring temptations into our lives, but that is not why we give in to temptation. We succumb to temptation because of what's inside of us, what we want, what we desire, what we don't want, what we fear, etc. Eve had the perfect circumstances, didn't she? She had the perfect, most beautiful home we can't even imagine. She had the perfect husband. She had the perfect relationship with the Lord. She didn't even have children yet at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yet, she desired to be like God, and so she sinned. We're going to flip now to James and spend a little bit of time there looking at what James also has to say about temptation. There are several different places that we could go and we could stop and we could dwell, and that's why I recommend these books to you because there are so many um, different places in Scripture that we could spend tonight looking at this topic, but I'd like for you to go to James chapter 1. We're going to start with verses 2 and 3. There it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know 
that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now I want you to skip down to verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now in these verses, the Greek word for trial refers to external circumstances. Trials or tests that God allows for the purpose of growing us in grace. Now look at verses 13 through 15. Here it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James tells us that God sends circumstances into our lives to test us, so we will grow in grace. But then he says that God never designs those circumstances in order to trap us. Any circumstance is either a test that will help grow us, or a trap that will lead us to failure and sin. So what makes the difference then? The inner condition of the person in the midst of the circumstance. What did James say in verse 14 is the ultimate cause of temptation that leads to sin? But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his what own desire ladies no external circumstance makes us sin we sin because what we want leads to sin you see we're tempted in both good times and in bad times you might think i have an excuse to sin because my circumstances are really hard because certain circumstances and conditions do make obedience really challenging, like poverty, persecution, a difficult marriage, wounds from the past, difficult children, loneliness, etc. And any circumstance like these makes it really hard to obey and really easy to rationalize why it's okay to do the wrong thing. But on the other hand, there are also conditions on the other end of the spectrum that make it easy to sin, like prosperity, obedient children, a good marriage, success, pride and indifference are temptations that sprout up when life is really good. And when my kids are obedient, I may be looking around and condemning other parents whose kids aren't quite as obedient as mine until Hold up. <laughs> what happens when my child becomes the prodigal? Then how do I respond? In both circumstances, God desires to sanctify us. A very wise friend of mine who has faithfully walked with the Lord through both of these circumstances reminded me just this last week that it's about our heart too. And God is not just working on them, whoever the them is in your life. He's working on us too. And y'all, really, any condition, 
provides us with ample opportunity for temptation and sin. So, I think we can all agree on that part, right? (laughs) I think what we really need to know from here is how do we fight it? We must understand the elements and stages of temptation to be successful in the battle. And the Bible informs us and instructs us of these things so that we can enter the battle fully equipped with all we need to fight. There are three elements mentioned in scripture, and we've talked about the first two. So we've talked about the world, which is our circumstances, where we live, the conditions around us. The second is our flesh, and that's how our human desires play into our circumstance. And the third is the devil. Satan plays a part in our struggle as well. Paul tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, if you want to jot that down, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus was aware of the schemes of the devil throughout his ministry, and we should also then be aware. And the way Satan works is quite simple, really. He uses the external world and our sinful inclinations to trap us into sin. And then once he traps us, he taunts us and he accuses us of being worthless and useless to God and hopeless. Have any of you been there? Thankfully, our gracious, merciful, and forgiving Father says something completely different. In 1 John 1, 9, you are welcome to quote this with me if you'd like to. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In 1 John 4, 4, we read, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And although the devil is a powerful enemy, he is no match for God, who we can depend upon for faith, strength, and protection. So jot down, if you're taking notes, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, to refer to later. I'm not going to read that, but you know what it is. It's what? It's the armor of God where we find this description of exactly how God equips us and enables us. Another really important thing to understand about temptation is that it doesn't just appear in your life. It comes in stages. It's usually not a surprise attack. (laughs) Like marriages don't end the first time one spouse has an improper thought about another person. And people don't become alcoholics their very first drink or workaholics their very first day on the job, do they? Remember that we read earlier in James 1.14, the first stage of temptation is seduction. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Temptation begins when we want something more then we want Christ. When we believe that we need something more than Christ or in addition to what he promised in order to be okay. 
It could be anything, and even good desires can lead to sin when they become more important to us than God. Our best opportunity to triumph is right here, in this stage, when we're first seduced before we take any action. We must ask God to help us see what we're being drawn to besides Christ in order to determine where sin might be crouching at our door. Let's look back at James 1.15. What's the next stage? James 1.15 says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The next step, stage, or step, is where the step is taken over the line. It's where sin is committed and where we begin to be mastered by something other than Christ. Ladies, I'd be very surprised if there is one of us in this room who has not been here somehow, some time in some way. And as serious as this is, I need you to hear me say, there is still hope. And life is not over when we fall into sin. God promises that we can repent and we can learn from our failures. God can change our heart and redeem our lives through his strength and by his grace. And maybe you're here. And maybe you recognize an area where you are being tempted. Or maybe you're in a place where you feel hopelessly trapped. I don't want to leave you here. And God doesn't intend to leave us here either. Let's look at some practical ways to resist temptation and depend on Jesus for the help we need. If you were counseled ever by Brother Jerry... Um, And let me just say here, Anita already knows where I'm going. (laughs) But let me just stop and say, um, whether you realized you were being counseled by Brother Jerry or not, if you ever had a conversation with Brother Jerry, you were actually being counseled by him, whether you knew it or not. And so you probably remember that he loved to begin every session by offering hope, number one, and number two, Your very first homework always was to memorize what? Who knows? Yes. (laughs) And I know that all of you know that from personal experience with him. To memorize 1 Corinthians 10.13, which says, you can quote it with me if you memorized it with him. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. How amazing is it that we have a Savior who fully understands what it's like to be tempted by our circumstances, by our desires, and by Satan. The fact that he was the Son of God that he was 
totally obedient to God, that he never sinned, he, had ne- he never did anything wrong, that didn't exempt him from being tested. And it didn't exempt him from experiencing very, very difficult temptation. Because I want to be clear here, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. So let's turn to Luke 4. And let's read how Jesus was tempted in every way during very desperate circumstances. I'm not going to go back and take the time to read what happened just before this passage of the temptation, but I I think most of you probably remember what had happened right before this. It was a really amazing experience, and Jesus was baptized, right? And then he goes into the wilderness... And this is where we pick up in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan after being baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He, Jesus answered, For it is written, He will command, no, I'm sorry, For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him forever? No, until an opportune time. You see, it was necessary for Jesus to face this temptation, to go through it, to endure it, and to overcome it in order to be able to represent us as our Savior Jesus faced Satan and was tempted as a man. Again, 100% man. He was also 100% God, but he didn't use his divine powers as God to overcome this temptation. If he had, we would say, well, sure, he can overcome temptation. He's God, but I'm not God. Jesus overcame the enemy as a man, as a human. He used the same resources, though, that are available to me and to you today. And what are those resources? The Holy Spirit who led him there. Did you catch that? Prayer. Just before he entered the wilderness, Jesus was baptized and he had been in a conversation with his father. The grace of God that's available to those who humble themselves and who cry out to God. The word of God 
That's the sword of the Spirit, the weapon against the enemy. These were the verses he had learned as a child and growing up as a man. He had meditated on them. He had applied them to the very moment he needed to use them. The same way we do today when we battle temptation. Hebrews 2.18 tells us, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So verse 16 of Hebrews 4 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. First and foremost, God has promised that he will help us. He will enable us through the comforter he has sent to us, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us determine where sin is lurking in our lives when we ask. And then he promises to forgive us when we confess, as we read earlier in 1 John 1, 9. We must remind ourselves that even though we often love other things more than God, Jesus is still completely faithful to us. He lived and died and was raised and sent his Holy Spirit for us. And right now he's praying for us. He's making intercession to the Father on our behalf. And one day he will come to rescue us completely. And we must remember who we are in Christ because of the, this gospel. We are not slaves to sin. We belong to Christ according to Romans 6 and Galatians 2.20. And we can tell him about our struggles. He understands what it's like to live in a broken world as a human. And he will give us grace and mercy as we grow closer to him. We must know God to fight temptation. But we can also better fight temptation when we know ourselves. Reflect on your life and your priorities and your heart's desires. What is it that makes your life worth living? When are you most content? When do you most get angry? What are you experiencing that you don't want? What are you not getting that you want? Are there patterns that here that cause you to move away from God? Are there times and places where you are typically tempted? Are there certain places, people, seasons, times of day, feelings, or events where you are most likely to experience this? Is it when you're tired and worn down? We can't downplay the daily, seemingly mundane battles that occur in our lives because most sin patterns develop over time and repetition in those mundane moments. Every day a war is raging for our heart and our affections. Every minute of every day. These mundane minutes are where the battle will be won or lost. 
Our goal should be to cultivate a moment-by-moment awareness then of our relationship with God and our need for his grace and power. A few other practical ways that God provides a way of escape for us are to confess our sins to one another. We read this in James 5.16. God gives us the church, our sisters in Christ, to help encourage us and hold us accountable. We need others who love Jesus to help us. Go to the word of God. Even Jesus did this when he was tempted. According to Psalm 119, his words are sweeter than honey. Memorize Philippians 2, 1 through 11. That's a big chunk. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, but it highlights the blessings of obedience and the warnings of disobedience. And the Bible also tells us to take drastic measures if necessary to avoid situations where you know you will be tempted. And we know that passage from Matthew 5, 27 through 30. We studied that last year. And lastly, don't give up. Don't lose heart. God can and will change our desires when we apply these principles, but that change may happen slowly, and it may be over time, and some we may struggle with until our life here is ended. Paul is a perfect example of a Christian with a dramatic conversion who still admitted that he struggled with loving and obeying Christ. Read Romans 7 and be encouraged by Paul's honest testimony of his ongoing fight against temptation. Like Paul, we should allow our struggles to move us closer to the body of Christ and closer to God. And sometimes we have to look back over years to see the work that Christ has done in our lives, don't we? Our sin is no match for God's goodness, his power, his holiness, and his grace. Even in our sin, God loved us first. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I told you at the beginning of the lesson we would start in one garden and we would end in another. You see, sin began in the Garden of Eden, but Everything changed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here is where Jesus once again was tempted. He was tempted beyond what we can even imagine to make a different choice, to not follow the plan established by God the Father, which would require him to die on the cross. But in this garden, Satan did not win that battle. The moment Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Not only was the battle against Satan, sin, and death won, but so was the war. Satan was cursed in the Garden of Eden, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, his fate was sealed. And I want to end tonight by focusing our hearts on what that means. What does it mean that the war is won? You know, when wars occur between two countries here on earth, 
there really is no way to know who's going to win, right? Or what life is going to look like on the other side of that war. I want us to see what our future will look like because he has been victorious over sin. Will you turn with me to Revelation 21? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Ladies, this is our hope. The war has been won. We can have hope, and we can overcome temptation, and we can fight sin. God has equipped us with what we need to do that. And so um, this is where I want to end this lesson tonight, with this hope of, of what we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you, in your great mercy to us, have provided us this glimpse of the future, Father, that you've enabled us to see what you have in store for us, that you allowed us to know that you've already won the war. God, I pray that you'd help us as we battle daily, as we battle moment by moment here on earth to fight sin, to fight um, temptation from our circumstances, from the situations that we're in, as we fight the sin that's um, in our hearts, Father, through our own selfish and evil desires. And Father, as we fight Satan and his attacks, God, I pray that you would just remind us of the ways that you've equipped us through the body of Christ and through your word and that we would depend on your Holy Spirit, that we would seek out the sin that is crouching at our door so that we can be prepared and we can fight with the sword of the Spirit and with the armor of God that you have equipped us with. God, I pray that we would come alongside one another and that we would help each other as sisters in Christ to stand Father, to stand against the fiery darts of Satan, 
to stand when we are weak in our, because of our own sin and the devastation that we cause because of our sin. Father, I pray that you would help us to encourage one another through your word. Father, I pray that you would help us to worship you above all and in all circumstances that we would trust that you are indeed working all things for our good and for your glory. God, I pray for each of these ladies here tonight, Father, in whatever battle it is that they're facing, whether it be physical, whether it be um, emotional, Father, whether it be mental, Father, in, in our thoughts so often we battle in our thoughts, thought life. And God, I just pray that you would um, surround them with women who will encourage them and uplift them and point them to you in these struggles. Father, I um, thank you for this group, and I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and to learn more about you and to grow closer to you and to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.